Welcome to the Rehabilitation Collaborative Podcast, where we help our listeners build resiliency despite adversity. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Sovey, owner of Healthy Consumer Physical Therapy in Lansing, Michigan. In this podcast, we connect individuals and communities with resources and exceptional practitioners so they can transform their well-being and become happier, healthier, more mobile, and strong. After listening, if you found the show valuable, be sure to follow our podcast so you never miss another episode again at anchor.fm slash rehab collab. That's anchor.fm slash R-E-H-A-B-C-O-L-L-A-B. And with that said, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Keila Yount of Mid-Michigan Podorthic. Say hi, Keila. Hi. Thank you so much for being with me tonight. I'm really glad to spend some time with you. Thank you, Chris. So Keila is a podorthist. And can you explain a little more to someone who doesn't know what that is and, and what a podorthist does? Okay. Um, first of all, a podorthist, we work with um, the fit and, and manufacturing of footwear and also the the fit and manufacturing of custom foot orthotics so we're dealing all with basically with the foot which is the ped part uh, a lot of people think that i mispronounce what i do so i am not a podiatrist so as a <laughs> podorthist we cannot uh, do surgeries or dispense any medication but we work with the the allied health fields to um, help a person maintain some mobility and gait issues um, in, as well as a variety of different foot problems that they may have through an appliance that's going to fit in their shoes. I see. And what's the typic, typical clientele that you would see on average? And Boy. Why do people come to you? I mean, you mentioned some gait things, but what is the typical person that you see? Um, as a podorthist, we're in a lot of different types of facilities. So you may find a podorthist in a um, diabetic um, hospital unit um, so they're dealing with just the diabetic foot I base my clinic on more of a movement clinic so I see men women children um, probably my favorite group to work with would be athletes mm-hmm. um, but um, I like to start with children when they're young if they have some gait deviations or differences in their walking which is going to affect their alignment so I try to work with them so um, as they grow, the, the muscles will, will grow, the tendons and ligaments will grow in, a, in more of a aligned fashion. So I really work with all ages. Since you brought that up, since you brought up you know, young children, the, the pediatric population, let's say someone's listening right now and they might have concerns that their child has either something something's right wrong with their gait or they're not quite sure maybe they're like i think something's wrong with my child's foot or the way they're developed what would you say to that parent and and when do you think what's a clue that they should come and see you or get help boy um watching their walk if they struggle to walk um if their their feet are really rolling in or rolling out or one of the big clues is that the child doesn't really want to be active oh. and there's probably a reason for that maybe they're not communicating that something isn't comfortable uh-huh. so i start with children basically when they start walking it's a it's not a bad idea to have them evaluated 
Right. If someone wanted to come in for an evaluation and what would that look like? Because a lot, I think a lot of people, sometimes they hesitate to get help for something because either A, they don't understand it, they're really confused, either they're overwhelmed or they might even be frightened about what that process is like. So paint a picture of what the typical process would look like if someone was like, I think I need to get something altered in my shoe, whether it's an orthotic or, or something else or some kind of modification to their shoe. What would that process look like in general for somebody? Well, usually, first of all, they would seek out a podorthist if they're usually having some foot pain or discomfort. So, you know, one of the, a common thing would be some plantar fasciitis, which is a, a pain or pulling on the bottom of their foot. So, but um, what the process would be, it'd be a gait analysis. Um, what I particularly do at my clinic is, um, like I said, I like to base everything more on movement. So I want to see that person walk. Um, and not only looking at what their feet are doing, but how are their knees aligning up? How are their hips lining up? What does their spine look like? What are their shoulders doing? Um, and then based on that, I'm going to look more specifically at the feet. And, and I view the feet as that's their foundation. So whatever your foundation does, as the saying goes, it, we're all connected. The ankle bone's connected to the knee bone, connected to the hip bone. Um, if something begins to uh, falter at the foundation, chances are it's going to affect you further on up the kinetic chain. Yeah, I feel like you and I could have a three-hour <laughs> discussion about that at least. And we have. We have had some, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so along those lines of the foot having such an influence, you must have had some kind of clue in your own life. Why did you decide to go into this field? What were some of the things that that led you into the field that you're in now? Well, my background, I'm actually in, um, my background is I was a collegiate track and field cross country coach. So my years of running um, led me into a wonderful career. And then I got injured. So I know when I was coaching um, at the collegiate level, I would always look at my athletes and look at their form and try to work with their form through strengthening um, and flexibility work to prevent injuries. So um, that's really a key of injury prevention to keep that athlete stronger. So when I became injured, I personally, I couldn't find anything that I could run in. So uh, I didn't want my running career to be over. Um, so I started to just play around in my garage. I was cutting shoes apart and trying to figure out what I could <laughs> put in my shoes that I, that would make me supportive because I had some plantar fasciitis issues too, yeah. which, which led to some knee issues too, which I'm working on those issues right now in my older adult life. Um, but that's what, what's led me into this career, and it's, it's a wonderful career. I mean, you get to get up every morning and go to work and do something that you love to do. Yeah, and you help people get out of pain. And you help people, and, and not always that, and, and you improve their function. You Try to improve their function. Yeah, I mean, maybe we shouldn't just focus in on pain, but you certainly improve a lot of function in people's lives and their ability to be mobile. To be mobile, yep, that's the goal. Whether, whether it's a little toddler learning to walk to make them mobile, or um, a, a high school kid, or someone in our geriatric population. Tell us a story about, you know, like how it feels to see someone transform like you obviously don't have to use names but tell us a story about watching somebody from when they come in to maybe 
you know, when, when they've finished with your services or maybe have a follow up with you like a year down the road or something, what's that like for you? It, it's, it's the best, best feeling ever. That's, that makes the career all worth it. It makes you make, you want to get up and go to work the next day because you're taking someone that has come to me and they're like, you know, I'm kind of at my last point. What am I going to do? And okay, what, what are steps A, B, C, D, E, F, G that we can do to make you more mobile? And it can be something as simple as putting an appliance in your shoe, but taking it beyond that and adjusting it as they begin to get stronger. So when they get their mobility back, I, I remember one, one patient at one point, his feet literally, and he was born this way, were on backwards. They were on backwards. And I remember the first time working with him, I didn't, no surgeries involved, didn't work on anything to change the direction of those feet, but we worked on accommodating what he had and, and make things more cushion, more uh, better aligned. And I remember watching him skip down the hallway. Wow. I mean, it was, it was amazing to go from not being able to hardly walk to skip down the hallway. That's probably one of my most abstract examples <laughs> that really does oh, paint a picture <laughs> yeah yeah um but but just to, it's just a very gratifying field very gratifying profession to work with these people and i make them do the work i'm just trying to give them a tool to get them from point a to point b so i'm going back to still being you hacking up shoes in your garage <laughs> I'm still picturing this in my mind. (laughs) And then how do you get from that point to where you're in a private practice? At at what point were you like, I think I need to pursue this and actually like get some formal training in in this? How how did you bridge that gap? Um, What pushed you to go the next step the next no step. pun intended <laughs> it's a good i'm gonna have a lot of foot puns today <laughs> i think <laughs> i'll walk with that one <laughs> um i i knew that i enjoyed doing that and again working with the athletes to what can i do to make them less injury prone so we can get the volume of mileage we need to do and all the races we need to do at the collegiate level so i i did look into this profession and you know, it's not something, it's not a word that you hear every day. Um, but as I looked into it, I realized I needed to go back to school. Yeah. Get some formal training. And what is that, what was that program like when you went to school? And has it changed over the years? Like the kind of training that you would go through as to become yeah. a podorthist? There are less schools that offer it now. Okay. Um, it's not the most popular profession out there, but it's one of the most rewarding ones, I think. Yeah. Um, I did the medical part at one school and then the hands-on at another school, but really you can finish the program, the training, in, in about two years. Um, uh, I, I did, um, I guess I did the, the medical part, I, I did a little bit at my alma mater because it was convenient for me. So I was doing evening classes and, and then I had to take some time off and go to, to schools in different segments. Mm. Probably the best way to do it would be just go to school and, and be done in a year. Mm. You say it's it's not as common anymore. Has has your 
training been absorbed into other skill sets or other professions? Why, why is that? Um, I'm pretty old fashioned and, and the way <laughs> I do it is all hands on and now yeah. we can do things with, with computers now. So you can scan the foot and the machine can, can see. Uh, fabricate an orthotic. Whereas mine, I do it all by hand and it's a much longer process. It's, we have a lot of mutual patients and I've, I've, I've had a lot of people compliment that part of what you do. And they, they think it's like a, it's, it's an art and I've seen your work in person. So I can and agree with that. I, I would have to imagine that your hands-on approach has some huge benefits over a machine, certain things that a machine can't detect. Everything's becoming so, you know, automated, which has some advantages, right. but a machine isn't watching somebody walk and they're not seeing how it fits into the bigger, bigger picture of the person. Correct. Correct. I, I can watch a person walk down the hallway and in fact I was just working with a runner just last week that runs at a, a at the collegiate level and just looking at her sitting position I'm like yeah she really shouldn't be having these types of injuries um, these chronic injuries and I brought out in the hall and watched her walk and boom that that really revealed it all the different compensation she's done from the years of all of the miles and miles of running and a machine can't do that yeah do you see that is the direction that a lot of, is that another reason that it is becoming less common to find a pedorthus that, that does it the way that you do it because it's becoming more automated and machine based more and automated because for the amount of time that I spend with one person, not from, from the initial evaluation to the actual fabrication of the product to seeing them, to dispense it and seeing them for follow-up. There's a lot of hours involved in that. Mm -hmm. A machine can do it in 30 minutes. I'm spending six to eight hours. Mm -hmm. Perfect. What would you say to someone who says something along the lines of, well, my friend told me I, I have flat feet, so I'm going to go just stick these lifts in my shoe. <laughs> You've got to hear that sometimes because I, I, I hear that. And just, you know, more in the casual setting, like, or I'm just going to go put this in my shoe or I'm just going to, you know, I just need support here. Everybody thinks they need support. <laughs> <laughs> or, cushion. or cushion. And sometimes they have so much cushion that that <laughs> lacks support. What would you say to that? So what I would say out loud <laughs> would be um, that's okay. You know, you can try that. But the supports may not hit you in the proper spot and they may not align you correctly. So they may down the line help or they may cause more problems. Mm. What I want to say privately is, okay, try that. See me now or see me later. <laughs> but I try to be nice. That's because fair. some of the over-the-counter supports work wonderful. Some of the products out there yeah. are fine, and that may be all that person needs. For the right person. For the right person. Right. You yourself, though, I mean, you've worked with a lot of athletes, and you are an athlete yourself. You've, you've really... Uh, been a runner for a long time many decades right many decades yes <laughs> it's the greatest sport out there <laughs> <laughs> and why do you say that um because anybody can run you you don't have to be the fastest kid in school um you don't have to be able to run the farther but everybody can be successful it's it's you against you so you can challenge yourself at a, if whether you're going to run a 5k road race or you've run your first marathon or 
you hate running, but you're still gonna go out and run with your, with your best friend. When, Everyone can be successful. Yeah, and you, I know, have, have I've heard a story <laughs> from you personally <laughs> that you just kept on going. <laughs> Sometimes with uh, your, <laughs> some of your friends <laughs> ended up so, at a coffee shop. <laughs> sometimes you get a little hard-headed. <laughs> is that true of all runners? Is that just a, a, a characteristic of all runners? <laughs> Maybe it's the people you hang out with. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's an addiction. It, you know, it it is, and so and with that addiction, there can be some downfalls because sometimes you do too much too soon and that's why we need to come to people like you to <laughs> to help us out with these things well i've definitely learned never to tell a runner to stop running oh that is so true you just can't do that <laughs> no. no matter what you think you're going to do treatment wise you can't you can't tell them to stop running <laughs> no no that's not the way to motivate them <laughs> take off a couple of weeks no okay <laughs> <laughs> that when i was coaching at the collegiate level one of the if I, if I had a sprinter and they did something, okay, you can't run today. Okay, see you later, coach. I'm out of here. You tell a distance runner that? No, they would beg you. No, please, please, do anything else. Please, let me run today. Nope, you can't run today. So when they would get an injury and they would go to our athletic trainer, that would be the worst thing you could tell them is, you need some time out, you can't run. Yeah. Please, do whatever you can. I'll put the ice pack on, just make me better. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Do you still get the runner's high after many years of running, or did that wear wear off after a while? And, and I would have to say, if, if I were running seven days a week, um, one of those days you'd have that runner's high, and it's that one day that gets you through those other six days. Yeah. It's, yeah, just that, that one day will do it. Yeah. Whether it's icy out, hot out, freezing cold out, you, you get it once, yeah. Once a week. <laughs> yeah. And would you say are uh, would you say runners are the the population you still see the most now? Is that just because of your own passion for running? Or do you feel like, because you mentioned you've seen many different people from all kinds of walks of life. Do you get quite the variety or have you been, have you become known as the runner <laughs> advocate? <laughs> the runner advocate. <laughs> um, I think I, I, th I think people refer to me because they know that, that I like to work with athletes and that, yeah. that really is a passion. Um, but I, I'm lucky and I get to work with all, all aspects. So yeah. all ages, um, males, females, all walks of life. And they all have a great story of, of why their feet hurt. You brought some samples with you. I know some people are gonna be listening from audio wise, but a couple might be listening on the video as well. So why don't you pick up a couple of those and, and just explain um, a little bit of what it is that you have in your hand and also explain it as if someone's listening just on the audio portion. Okay. So what I'm holding up is, is an orthotic and it's um, a large size. This happens mm. to be for a professional basketball player, which I was, wow. had fun working with this player. Um, so I whatever they come to me with whatever foot ailments they have or if they have a leg link difference or if they have knee problems or back problems um that i during the evaluation it helps me determine what types of materials to use so i like to use a lot of cork because it's durable 
Typical orthotic lasts about six to eight years. Mm. Um, and cork is also lightweight, and I can remold it a little bit. So mm. as the foot begins to change, I can make some adjustments to the orthotic. So I may start, for those that you can see, with just a mold of the, the foot out of cork mm. and some backing to support the arch. And step two might be that I'm adding some fiberglass to give the orthotic some rigidity and, and holding power, and I'll put a backing on. And the backing is what I do, uh, which is on the bottom of the orthotic, that's what I build the alignment into, or what I call posting. So if someone rolls in, I try to bring them back more neutral. If someone rolls out, I try to bring them back in more neutral. So that's an adjustment I change often on, on the bottom is that the person changes with the orthotic. And then this would be like the, the finished product of what it looks like. So those that can't see, it's those layers combined. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a work of art. Uh, for those that are, are listening, it's you can see that it's so custom made to that individual compared to a lot of, I've seen a lot of over the counter things where, like you said, some of them are good and other ones, you might as well just toss it out the window because it, it provides no structural integrity whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They're just been marketed. You could ring it out like a washcloth. I mean, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and these start, each of these layers are flat pieces of material. Oh, okay. That I cut and heat and mold. I see. So each pair may take about an hour, a physical hour long to make it, or longer. Yeah. And you have certain machines that help you with this. Tools? Yes. Okay. Yes. Like a some type of furnace or, or oven? What is the um, machine? What do the machines look they like? They can be uh, like a little heating oven or a heat gun mm -hmm. so a heat gun can heat up to 1100 degrees pretty quick mm -hmm. um, and then presses where i'll put something over a plaster mold or a form of a person's foot and like vacuum form it down over so the material cools and then i start grinding the shape into it i see i think something people might want to know and have asked me is what shoes should your orthotics go in? <laughs> That's always the million dollar question, Chris. <laughs> because they don't always fit in what we want to wear. Oh, yes. So maybe they work better in an athletic type shoe or something that will open up and lace. And something, if you could take the inner sole out of them, the orthotic will take its place. Hmm. So I'll tell people, I'll make the orthotic to fit a proper fitting shoe for you. Mm. Um, but I can also make some that are thinner, shorter, that will accommodate and work in uh, like a high heel that we women get to wear. Mm -hmm. um, see, men are lucky. They, they have two pairs of shoes. They have a brown pair and a black pair. And that's good. That goes with other suits or whatever they wear for work. But women, we need some high heels and some you know, dozens of other types of shoes. Do women still wear high heels these days? Not, not these days. I don't even know if people wear shoes these days. <laughs> people just kind of wore pajamas every day now. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever athletic shoes fit. But that's another thing, too. People, if you spend most of your time in your slippers and then you get up and all of a sudden, well, I'm going to be active. I want to get ready for this 5K coming up. And then you start moving and 
you may have some structural problems because you haven't right. done much movement. Right. Weekend warriors. The weekend warriors. Yes. You get to see them. Couch to 5K. <laughs> yes. Probably done over one day. Over one day. Let's <laughs> cram it all in and do it in one day. Yep. Yes, yes. So the footwear becomes problematic. Um, that's why I can use some different materials, but the best type of footwear really is an athletic shoe. Yeah. A proper fit athletic shoe. Yeah. So let's say that someone who's been listening really liked what they heard tonight and they, they wanted to learn a little bit more or maybe even potentially work with you. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you or to learn a little bit more about your clinic? I'm always very uh, open to fielding questions that they have before they would come in if, if they want to and they can contact me. Um, I'm located at 1520 Ramblewood Drive, which is on the corner of uh, Coolidge and Ramblewood, just off of Lake Lansing Road. Mm -hmm. And Or they can contact me at 517-351-2688. Or they could contact me through my email address. We, I asked you this beforehand and you said it was okay. So you know someone is dedicated to their craft when they have foot fixer in their email. <laughs> <laughs> Give the full email address. <laughs> so, okay, it's F-O-O-T-F-I-X-E-R underscore 95 at yahoo.com. Well, thanks so much for being with me here today, Keila, and spending some time with me and, and sharing your passion, your craft for what you do. Thanks for having me, Chris. And, and I would like to say that uh, my career is much easier because of the, the people that I that surround me that I get to work with. So our physical therapists out there, mm -hmm. our orthopedic surgeons, our physicians, our um, healthcare workers really make my job easier through uh, their referral and our work together. It's like we're uh, teamwork is it's fun. Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. And before you go, be sure to follow our podcast so you never miss out on another episode again at anchor.fm slash rehab collab. You can also find us on Spotify. We currently post on the first and third Thursday of each month. So be sure to check back then. If you'd like to learn more about what the Rehabilitation Collaborative is up to, you can also find us on facebook.com slash rehab collab.